0: Lord, in these next moments, we want to hear from you. And so, um, Father, would you send your Holy Spirit to speak into the hearts of each person, um, regardless of the words that come out of my mouth, God? Let us hear your words. And the way that we receive them, the way that we hear them, that truly we can be what you want us to be and do what you want us to do. Know what you want us to know. So make your word come alive. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Um, Most of you, if you've been around here any length of time, know that um, I've come through some really hard times, and the last few months have been, especially just filled, seem to be filled with spiritual warfare in so many different ways, so many different angles, physically, relationally, just all, my mom and my sister, just all kinds of stuff. And it's, it has been hard. It's just been hard. And I, and I don't say that to make you feel sorry for me. I say that to make you see what you're going to hear in a moment is how good and big God is. So this week was especially hard. The last two weeks, especially hard. Um, I, as I mentioned in the opening, uh, my gut stuff has been kind of under control for quite a long time. But this week just... So that was Thursday night into Friday. Um, and I just struggled, persevere. One of the things that I've learned is when you're facing difficulties, whether whatever it is, you keep going. You just keep your eyes on Jesus and you just keep going. Perseverance. He who endures to the end. That's that's what we see in scripture over and over. Just do what you need to do. And so I did. Friday, went through Friday. Hard day. Um, Woke up early yesterday morning. And as is my habit and what I've encouraged you to do is start the day on your knees. Start your day in some way, shape, or form surrendering to God. Lord, I give this day to you. I'm yours and I have learned, for me, there's a significance of being physically on my knees. So we got a house full of people. My two granddaughters, their parents returned this week. And I was kind of divided on that. Because I love having the grandkids around. But then their parents show up and it changes everything. Um, but they, they showed up Friday. And so I couldn't go to my office because it's occupied. So I'm, I was in the living room at the house and I knelt down at the couch Um, as soon as I hit my knees I heard this ah I've been waiting for you and it was it was completely unexpected. Because it's a habit. It's just a habit. I go to my knees and I bow before God and I just release my day to Him, pray about the day and listen. But when I hit my knees, I heard I've been waiting for you. Not with scolding. It's not as if it's about time you showed up. It was more of a loving dad who has been preparing and longing and and waiting f- for something good, he wants to do for the child that is 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 coming. It's kind. Of, it's it's the kind of feeling you get when you're at the airport waiting for somebody that you haven't seen for a long time. Oh, I've been waiting to see them. It's it's the it was the the kind of words that that you feel when maybe you you. You put a lot of work into a birthday present or a Christmas present and you just can't wait to give it to the recipient. And finally Christmas Day comes and, and you just can't wait for them to unwrap it because you've been waiting for the joy on their face and, and the delight that they'll have because you have so much to give. That's what I heard in God's voice. And I've been like this ever since because I don't know all that it is, but I know this: He wants that for every one of us. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, so. Oftentimes, what He does in my life is so that we, as a congregation, can experience it too. Mm-hmm. He wants it for all of us, and so I just started between my tears, just started writing down what I sensed I was hearing from Him. Um, and and the tear, the mo- it's like. So some of you have said, I, you know, I don't hear God the way that you hear God. And we talked about it in men's group yesterday, about um, that it's a skill. Learning to hear, recognize God's voice is a skill. It's, it's based in the Bible, it's based on experience, but it's based on, on um, having enough time with God and surrendering to God that you, that you recognize His voice when He speaks. And one of the, the ways to, to recognize is when a thought comes to you that is not your thought. It, it's completely out of the blue. It wasn't on your agenda. That's one of the ways to tell. And that's where this was. And so the emotions have been strong because I had no idea. And then and, and, and so here's, here's some of what I heard him say. You've You've been in a battle, and the battle has been just persevering. Perseverance, doing what I tell you to do, doing what I want you to do in obedience to me, regardless of what's going on or how it's going on or who has been um, a problem in your life, perseverance is the battle. And I'm proud of you because you've been persevering. Think about it. Uh, why would the God of the universe say that? Because of who he is mm-hmm. and who he wants to be for every single one of us. He's waiting for us, he delights in us. And so we see scripture after scripture after scripture that says, Come to me. I want you to, Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's my desire for you. Come to me, all who are are uh, burden and heavy laden. We'll get that scripture in just a little bit. His invitation is for us to come and defeat the work of the devil that causes all of the pain and the struggle that we endure so that we can have the joy. Philippians that we just studied when he talks about for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. That's what he wants us to have. That kind of delight. In Philippians chapter 3 when he says I have had all of these things but I've discovered that there's nothing that compares with knowing Christ. I've been waiting for you. And I think that is not just for me, it's for all of us. He's waiting for us to surrender to Him, to bring the garbage to Him, and allow our houses, our hearts, our minds, our souls to be emptied of all of that so that He can fill us more and more and more with the delight and the pleasure that He offers. Waiting. And I said, I said what, what, what does this mean? What, what are you waiting? And I sensed him saying, I, I've been waiting because I want to reach into your life and, and I want to um, reveal more to you of what the next steps are. I want, to, I want you to see more. I want to recalibrate your mind and your heart so that you're experiencing. I want to infuse you with the ability to, to handle whatever's coming next. I've been waiting for you because I've got good things for you. Another thing that I have it, since God's saying for quite some time. and So I got on my knees and I heard him say, I've been waiting for you. And after I, after I got through the emotions of that, I said, well, and and some of the stuff that he said, I heard again these words because I've sensed him saying them often. Um, You have no idea what I'm doing. You have no idea what I'm doing. And I remember when I first heard those words some probably six or eight weeks ago, my my immediate, you know, when you hear somebody say that, um, you have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know about you, but it's like they're saying, um, bigger. You know, this is going to be greater than anything that you can imagine. This is going to be huge. This is going And so my mind started going there, and, and I sense God's check, check me and say, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, Isaiah 55, which was our memory verse, right? My ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He says, you don't know what I'm doing. You need to trust me. And I think that's a word that some of you also need to hear today. Is you don't know, you you keep trying to um, trying to, to pray and, and maybe trying to get God to do something and and he's not doing what you think he should do. And if you listen, I think he'll say, You don't know what I'm doing. You don't know what I'm doing. You just need to trust me. And what does trust mean? Take the next step. So out of all of that um, we go back to the story of, of Jehoshaphat. So if you want to open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 20. 2 Chronicles 20 where we've been looking at the account of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat being one of the few good kings in Judah and we've looked at his life in different ways. How uh, his father was also a good king. He had learned. He had he had been active in obeying God and and teaching the people. Sending out, it, I think he's the only king that sent out the Levites and the the priests and um, other people to go and teach the word of God to the whole country, so the people would know. Um, so he's a good king. He's been trying. He's he's had these reforms in place, and so he's been going along and and. Uh, he's been king for a while, and now he comes to this crisis point where one day in chapter 20, they look out and they see hordes of people who are coming to destroy them. And in that moment, I just, I, I just wonder if God didn't, wasn't having some of the same kind of conversation with Jehoshaphat that I just described that he's having with me. is Because Jehoshaphat, this is not the first time he ever approaches God. Um, it's, it's a um, it's a habit. It's, it's a lifestyle. He's a good king. He's seeking God. And so look at those same verses that we read earlier. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 beginning with verse 3. Jehoshaphat was afraid. So he sees all of the hordes and he's afraid. Legitimate. And out of that fear, instead of panicking, he goes to God symbolically, he goes to his knees. And he set his face to seek the Lord, which is something he had done before. It wasn't new. It wasn't just because there was a danger. This was his habit. And so he sought the Lord. He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah because they were serious about this. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord, from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. Why? Because for years Jehoshaphat has been sending out throughout all of the country people to teach the people, um, leaders to teach the people about who God is and what he does. So that when they get the word, they don't have to stop and go, I wonder why he's sending They know, oh, this is what they were teaching us. We, we know enough about God that this is what we do. And so they responded. They came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly and. and verse 6, and said, O oh, Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule all, over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. And then he goes on to talk about the promises of God and, and what God has offered to them in the past. And all the people would be saying, yeah, we've, we heard that. We heard that from the Levites. We heard that from the priests. This, this is what, they're seeking God together. Verse 12, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And they waited before the Lord. They, they didn't take it into their own hands. They waited to hear what God would say. And one application I think I would make is, do we, are we that intentional about taking it to God and then saying, God, your time And when he says, trust me, just keep doing what you're doing, we do it. Because perseverance is the battle. Perseverance is the battle. Taking the next step, trusting when you don't know what's going on, when you don't know what's coming, trusting is the battle. So they waited. Verse 13, meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord. Their little ones, their wives, and their children. Are we, as we head towards a November week of prayer and fasting and our prayer gathering, are we willing to put all that kind of effort, that kind of attitude saying, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what you're up to, but you're up to something. Our eyes are on you when we're going to wait here and we're going to listen and we're going to persevere. Because if we do, God's promise says if we seek him, he will be found. And we dare not take... I, so, I wanted to come back to this part of the story because we dare not dismiss this idea of fasting and praying and seeking God. Because so oftentimes we move a little bit later into the chapter and we see how God delivered them. Miraculously. The... Other, the armies turn on each other and kill each other and when the uh, people of Judah show up, all they have to do, they just take three days to collect all of the spoil from the war. They don't have to fight the battle. But they waited until what? Verse 14, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, and the spirit and the Spirit of God spoke through him and gave them specific instructions. the reason they experienced the impossible is because they were willing to make the U-turns from being God of their own lives to allowing God to be God of their lives. They're willing to do the U-turn of, instead of adding God to my life, surrendering and making God God of life. The reality is that most people who claim Christ are short of doing a full U-turn. You, hear what, you understand what I'm saying? I, I really would have liked if, if as one you would have said amen. <laughs> <laughs> Most people don't experience what God has for them because they're short of doing the 180. Mm-hmm. They're sh- thank you, thank you. <laughs> I, w- I, j- I was giving you another chance. I wasn't going to pride you. I've just... Putting it out there. I, so I want to talk about that because here so I, you know, when I tell you these things that I sense God doing and I have all this emotion, emotion that goes along with it because I'm so grateful for all that God has done um, it has come at a cost. It has come at a as a pretty high cost in my life. And um, I, I tell you all of that not to say, oh look at her you know, he's I tell you all of that because I, as like the Apostle Paul in Philippians that we saw, I so want you to experience it too. Amen. Because that's what life is. Life is short. Every day we have people in our lives that we see obituaries. And we, see, we get the message that they have passed away. We, every day. And that's coming for us. When we get to the end of this life, what, what are we going to have lived for? If we, if we don't do the U-turn, it's because there's something in this life that we think is of higher value than God. And that's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, we wouldn't say it out loud, but that's the way that we're living. So what does it mean to do a U-turn? Let me give you words that the Bible uses. I put it in your outline there. It means to confess. To confess as we move toward our week of prayer and fasting and and the prayer gathering, we need to take seriously this practice of confession that is acknowledging the, the places in our lives, the truth of our sinfulness, the truth of our disobedience, and laying it before God. Because there's teaching in American Christianity that, that says, well, you know, as long as you prayed the magic prayer, um, you know, you're going to go to heaven and, and everything's going to be okay. And, um, and, and the reality is that the confession is essential to our having a relationship with God and living that relationship with God. That is acknowledging our sinfulness and, and being sorry for it instead of just saying, well, everybody sins and I can't do anything about it. The reality is God says, confess your sins. Confess your sins. Repentance, then, is that 180 degree turn. So as I acknowledge myself, there are some people who will say, well, yeah, I'm a sinner, but they don't repent. They just acknowledge that they're sinning. So confession says, yes, I take seriously the fact that I am being disobedient to God. I'm holding him at arm's length and I don't want to do that anymore. So I'm going to repent. I'm going to make a 180 degree turn to Christ going from Holding on to my sin to holding on to Christ. From loving my sin to loving Christ. From turning my back on Christ by pursuing my sin to turning my back on sin and pursuing Him. Now, does that make us perfect? See, as one, I was hoping you would say, (laughs) no, does that make us perfect? (laughs) No, it doesn't make us perfect. But it makes us passionate about following Him. So that when we sin, we, we are crushed because we know we've broken God's heart. And we go to Him in our sorrow. And there are some, in James, in James we find the scripture that says, confess your sins to one another. There are some sins that you need to find another believer and confess it as the body of Christ in order to be free. Confession, repentance. 180, and then obey, obedience is to live in step, following Jesus. Repentance is this practical daily turning. Every time you're tempted, every time, every time you're distracted, is coming back to this. A couple of scriptures that I put in your outline there: Second Chronicles 7:14. Earlier in the history, when the kingdom was still united and Solomon says, if my people who are called by my name, now notice notice the intensity. He doesn't just use one word, he uses multiple words to say how important this is to make the U-turn. If my people who are called by my name, so people who are following him, will humble themselves, humility, bowing before God, recognizing he's God, I'm not. And pray, that is to um, go to him with our words, Seek my face in, in the depths of seriousness, doing whatever it takes to turn to him. And that, that is where it comes, the fasting and the prayer and the, the gathering together to seek God and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. What I notice about so many people in affluent society that claim to be following Christ, they want to add God on to what they're doing and act as if he's a vending machine to get what they want mm-hmm. instead of bowing before him and saying, God, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Now, I would pause and I, I would ask you to pause and say, am I guilty of that? Because this is serious business. If you want to experience the depth of God, then you have to be passionate about turning away from sin and following him no matter what. Luke 9.23 Jesus said to all to all some, some have said, well this just applied to the twelve. No. Luke was pretty clear through the, the Holy Spirit's inspiration he said to all, if anyone would come after me that's everybody. That's not just special Christians that's not, that's not pastors and missionaries that's everybody let him deny himself, say no to himself and yes to God take up his cross daily to die daily to himself and follow me, walk in step with me. This is just practical stuff. Let me let me give you an example. Seeking God requires that we know who he is. So in Judah, Jehoshaphat sent out into Judah uh, priests and Levites and leaders to tell the people who God is, to read the law to inform them. We, as, as if we're going to be followers of Christ, we need to know the same thing. We need to know who God is, what He does, and what He wants to say to us. And it comes through the Word of God. And in 2009, the Center for Biblical Engagement issued a report that concluded that people who read their Bible at least four days a week experience the following benefits. And I, And I like this because it's So many of these studies that you see is um, um, of the born again Christians, you know, a high percentage don't even touch their Bible. But this approaches it a different way. Those that read their Bible at least four days a week experience the following Um, Did I get this right? Um. Christians who are engaged in scriptures most of the day of the week have lower odds of participating in these behaviors. Getting drunk, 50% lower odds. Sex outside marriage, 68% lower odds. Pornography, 61% lower odds. Gambling, 74% lower odds. Any of these habits, and and they listed a bunch of other things, 57% lower odds. Reading the Bible at least four days a week also made it more likely for the average Christian to engage in talking about their faith to other people and in being involved in discipleship. It increased sharing faith with others by 228%, discipling others by 231%, and memorizing Scripture, which, of course, because you can't memorize without reading it, right? 400% higher odds. When it comes to spiritual practices, when Christians get their priorities straight, it, it makes a difference in how they live. Amen. It's just that, so when we talk about repentance, we're, it's not this ethereal um, kind of idea out there. It's this practical. Just reading the Bible, using the devotional, and then getting on your knees in the morning, listening to the nudges. It's that practical. In order to make that U-turn, there's some things we need to do. I put a bullet point there for you. We have to accept God as God on His terms. Somehow, some way, we have to put God on the throne. We have to have God on the throne. We have to recognize that as sovereign, He gets to say whatever He wants, and we don't negotiate. Um, there are times in the Bible when you see God and a person negotiating. But it's usually not about what He wants them to do. It's, it's usually more about some exterior kinds of stuff. When God comes and says, you need to do this, we don't get to negotiate. So the last couple of weeks, um, as I said, we've had our granddaughters with us who live in California, five-year-old and seven-year-old girls. And part of um, And so their parents left for nine days. So we had the opportunity to straighten out our children's mistakes. (laughs) Because my daughter will say, I hope she's not listening. (laughs) My daughter will say, um, I can't get them to do their homework. I can't get that, you know, they they just whine and fussing. And so we got in this habit. They would get up in the morning, and the, they want to play on their tablets. All of your parents, grandparents know there's games. There's you know they want to play screens. There's this dopamine deal that comes with screens, and so they want screens. And and so they get, so what, what, a couple of days ago, the five-year-old got up at like six in the morning. She said, "I want to play on my tablet." I said, "There's no tablet until you do homework." She goes, "Okay, then I want to do homework." Okay. So we went in the dining room, got her something to eat, went in the dining room. We spent like an hour and a half doing homework until finally she was done. She said, Now, can I play on my tablet? No, you've got to practice your piano first. Okay, I want to practice my piano. So she practices her piano and she gets it all done. And she, can I play on the tablet? Absolutely. So she gets on her tablet. And she said, by the time she's playing on her tablet, having done all of that, by the time the seven year old comes down the steps. And the seven-year-old goes, how come she gets to play on her tablet? I said she did her homework. She goes, and so the seven-year-old goes, Well, I want to do my homework. <laughs> okay, well then let's do our homework. So we do the homework and she gets it all done. Can I do it? No. Practice your piano. Okay, I want to practice my piano. So she practices the piano and then she gets to do it, go on her tablet. But so so the but the first day it wasn't like that. The first day it was Oh, I don't want to do that. And they would throw fit and they would whine and they would fuss. i go, that's not going to work here. It might work with your parents but it doesn't work here. Um, So if you want to do that, go in the other room. I don't want to go in the other room. Well, then don't do that. But I want to do that. (laughs) But I don't want to be in here. Sure, okay, well, come out and do it. there's no negotiating. There are rules in place that we have to do. So why is it that we think we can go to God and negotiate? God says, don't watch that. And we negotiate. We go, well, I'll only watch a little bit of it. Or I'll only listen to a little bit of it. Right? You know, it's not a big deal if I just compromise a little bit. And God says, and, and then we wonder why we're not experiencing the abundant life. There's no, we have to make, we have to put God on his throne because he's God. There, if, you th- if you are negotiating with God and you think he is listening and you think that he's giving in to your argument, you're not listening to God. Amen. You're comp- you, you are rationalizing. And there are a lot, and I watch this in Christianity. Very quickly, look at the scripture in chapter Mark chapter 10. You may be familiar with the story of the rich young ruler. It, it I think, um, gives us a good example of the way God handles when we try to compromise. When we try to negotiate. Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 17. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and, and knelt before him. Look at that. He kneels before God. See, getting up in the morning and kneeling before God doesn't do anything unless your heart's in it. And I asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And in that statement, he's challenging him. Do you really believe that I'm God? Because if you do, then you need to obey me. I'm God. You call me good, you, that's, that's good because I am God. But you need to understand that I'm God. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. There's no humility. Are you kidding me? Is there anybody that has ever lived from their youth obeying all of these? He had deluded himself. Jesus didn't argue with that because he knows that's not really the issue. And Jesus looking at him, and, I, and he, this is so good. He loved him. He loved him. And that's his attitude toward every one of us. When we are not obeying him, when we are rationalized with him, when we're trying to negotiate with him, he is not angry at us. He loves us. And he's trying to pull us in. He says, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He didn't, Jesus doesn't negotiate. He says, I have to have your heart. The reason he says, go sell all of your possessions is because he knew that his, that Jesus knew the young man's God was his possessions. And he needed to put it in the garbage can, bring it out to the street and allow God to come along and take it so that he had space for God to occupy his heart. And it's true for all of us. So we need to make God God. We have to accept God on his terms. Next bullet point. When we turn and follow Christ as God, we experience abundant life. The U-turn is not punishment. The U-turn, confess, repent, obey, is the invitation to experiencing the life that was lost in the Garden of Eden. It's it's the way that we experience the life that Jesus bought for us on the cross. And so it's an invitation, but it's hard. And we have to give up pleasures that we think that we want to hold on to. But I'm telling you, you cannot follow Jesus unless you're willing to confess and repent and obey. Mm-hmm. And, we, and there's so many people that play around with that. And you, you can play around if you want. But if you think you're getting God and that, you're deluding yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not possible according to the word of God. And so if there's something that he is saying to you, you need to stop it. You need to change it. You need to give it up. You need to add it to and you're not doing it. You're walking away from God no matter how close you think you are. And I was hoping as one. (laughs) One, Now, here's the danger. Is we say that and the devil still has us deceived. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have to get in the Word of God and we have to pray And we have to seek Him. We have to fast and seek Him with all of our hearts as we head into our week of prayer and fasting. We have to seek Him. When we turn and follow Christ, we experience abundant life. Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 28. He says, come to me. That's Jesus' invitation. Come to me. I want you to be with me. I've been waiting for you. I long for you. Come to me. All you who are labor who labor and, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You've been trying so hard with religion. You've been trying so hard with rules. You've been trying so hard with so many other things. You're just weary. It says, take my yoke upon you. His head in one side, put your head in the other, head in the other side. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. I, it's, not com- it's not going to be mean. It's, not going to be, it's going to be hard because it's hard to have your head in a yoke. But it, what you're living in sin with is harder. That's why he says this is easy. And you will find rest for your souls. And when he says rest, he's talking about the presence of God that Adam and Eve experienced intimately, perfectly. The kind of rest that comes in the depths of who we are that he talks about in Hebrews. The kind of rest that he describes when in Revelation, the end of Revelation, when he talks about eternal life rest for your souls that will cause you to have experiences like bowing down and hearing the very voice of God. Not audibly, but knowing in the depths of your souls ah, I've been waiting for you. Oh, there is no greater pleasure. And again, I, and I don't say that because I want you to say oh look how spiritual herb is. Those of you that know me well, you know i got all my quirks and idiosyncrasies. And, and, and as, as one, everybody says, Amen. Amen. Yeah. it's not that. It's about the God of the universe who reaches into our lives. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I've been waiting for you, he says. You have no idea what I'm doing. God gave me a statement years ago that said it's, no, it's not a sacrifice when what you give up or what you gain is of greater value than what you give up. And so when you turn to Him, when you're doing this U-turn, no matter what you give up, it's not a sacrifice because what you get from God is of far greater value. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20-21 Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within you, him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, to him be glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Any opportunity I get to quote C.S. Lewis, I'd love to do it. This is from the book, The Weight of Glory. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Mm. We are far too easily pleased. Mm -hmm. Now, I I don't want to kid you or deceive you. It's hard (laughs) confessing and repenting and obeying. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Don't let anybody ever tell you it's not. But I will tell you, it's worth it. It is absolutely, absolutely worth it. Another part of that picture that came as it was laying there of the idyllic suburban street with all the garbage cans out front and the garbage truck comes along and as he's trying to empty, he discovers trash can after trash can. It's just empty. Except for one. There was one. There was trash in one. And the garbage truck paused and emptied the garbage can into the back of it And then they continued to drive along. And then the picture was of the man who lived in the house. Instead of coming out to get his garbage can, started running after the truck. Caught up with it, he jumped in the back and rummaged through the trash until he found what he had put in his trash can. And he cradled it like a treasure and he ran back home and put it back in his house. Not only do people bring empty cans, but sometimes we bring that which God says, give to me. And then before we leave, we pick it back up. We say, I'm going to hold on to it. Or as we're driving away, the devil comes and starts lying to us and says, oh, you don't really want to stop doing that. And, and we pick it up and we take it back home. And this wasn't part of the, the picture at all, but I I would imagine God looking down and with tears in his eyes, thinking, Oh, I have so much. If you'll just repent, if you'll just turn, if you'll just confess, if you'll just follow me, I've got what you really long for. Would you bow your heads? Would you pause with God for a moment and, and ask Him what out of this message does He want you to hold on to and walk away with and put into practice? If it's surrendered, just do it right now. If it's confession, I encourage you not to short-circuit that, but carve out some time and spend some time with God to in detail Confess those things and repent of them. But make a commitment now that you're going to do it. In your mind, determine a time and day when you're going to do it. Maybe it's just as I've talked, you resonated with the delight that God has in you. Just relish that. I do believe that there's significant movement in the unseen, as Corinthians talks about. We live by faith. We live not by what we can see. And, and I know a part of that is God reaching, God reaching, God reaching. I would challenge you to, to ink on your calendar the week, November 5th through the 12th, and, and, and follow God's instructions on praying and fasting. The ink on your calendar Wednesday, November the 8th, and and participate in that prayer gathering. I don't even know what it's going to look like yet. But I know God is inviting us to experience Him. So Lord, I pray that You would take what we've talked about today, that You would make this a holy, significant, transforming moment for all of us as we pursue You. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.